Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we're grateful this morning as we gather together. And what a sweet company of people, O oh God. Your church is made up of so many different people from around the world, and yet we are one together in Christ. We come to worship you collectively. We come, O oh God, to adore you and to magnify you and to say there's no one else greater and mightier than more precious than you. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of our sins, for grace extended, for the manifold blessings every day, whether it be good health or food or strength or prayers answered, you deserve all the praise. And we come to thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and to adore you. Lord, you see the precious people here this morning and others that are on the way and precious people that are watching as well. You know every heart sigh. You know every heartbeat. You know every pain and every hurt your people are going through. Touch them and help them, I pray. And even Father, we know nothing is impossible for you. You can do it right now and surprise your people with joy by seeing their lives changed, by seeing joy of the Lord is their strength that they would be witness to a miracle of their own lives. Their body, their spirit, their soul, emotions would be touched and creative miracles would take place even right now in Jesus' name as we speak the name of Jesus. Lord, in exalting and magnifying your Son. Let this, O oh God, be there for precious people today who have come here with pain, who have come here with hurt, who have come here, O oh God, with needs. May everything be measured and met according to riches and glory and our father that you would be glorified thank you lord thank you father for everything and we're careful to give all of this thanks and praise to you in jesus christ our lord god's people said amen and amen give the lord a clap offering it's good to be in the house of the lord welcome precious people once again what a joy it is that so many of you are coming and returning back we give thanks to god for this opportunity that we can gather and to worship the Lord. And for those that are watching, once again, welcome uh, and be part of this uh, worship experience. And if you're on Facebook, take this moment to share and tell your friends that there's something that you want them to be part of this experience as well. And for many others that are watching on YouTube, tell your friends to join in in this wonderful occasion. Welcome once again, everyone, and especially it's those that have come in after a while it's been a long while in the pandemic, but I know people are returning all glory and all honor and praise be to God. Give them a clap offering. That simply people are coming back and it's a great choice, Evan, that we can gather together, particularly on this day, on this occasion of celebrating the Lord's table. I want us to realize one of the things that we're doing today is continuing on the message, which is basically flying the ointment. But I want to just mention this, particularly with regard to uh, our aspect of uh, communion, and this becomes very poignant, particularly in this very moment that we could gather, we could uh, come together to understand the awesomeness of this uh, awareness of our Lord Jesus Christ, his love and his fragrance to his people. I began this message talking about the five senses, and I talked about looking and hearing, and, and uh, then we went into uh, touching and then smelling, but we've stuck in this passage for a while. I began talking about what would be from Ecclesiastics chapter 10, verse 1, the dead fly in the ointment. Of course, this can be interpreted in many ways, but you may wonder why do I take this time to speak about this, which is, uh, has no meaning, it looks like. Or why in the uh, world is uh, God putting a particular passage which seems no relevance to the, anything that we can talk about? I want us to realize something very important. When you look into the scriptures, everything is there for a purpose. In fact, words that may not be meaningful now would be a lot of uh, meaning later on. But one of the things we must realize is no matter 
what type of people Jesus Christ spoke to. He spoke to them to the depth of their understanding and also to their knowledge and understanding that, let me just say this, uh, many a times he used allegories, many a times he used metaphors, and many times he used parables. They all become similitude of what would be trying to ref uh, bring in the abstract the awesome message of God and heaven and the things of heaven to a world that is so lost that, that they have no understanding. They basically can only understand the world part of it, but unless the Holy Spirit that we find in Second First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 20 can open our hearts, we will never be able to open. So many a times Jesus spoke in parables. He spoke these stories. They were very meaningful for people that heard him. Whether they were farmers, he spoke in their language. Whether they were fishermen, he spoke in their language. And so almost all of these notable stories that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke on had a tremendous meaning. It would look silly, but it was pregnant with tremendous meaning. If you were to take Hosea chapter 12 and verse 10, listen carefully what the book of Hosea, the prophet says, I've spoken by my prophets, I have multiplied visions and used similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. Many a times, uh, things that the Old Testament prophets did, just smacks wisdom. I mean, we just don't understand what were they doing. They lay on one side, then a few days later, God said, lay on the other side. They were all full of meaning if you were there at that time. The children of Israel had backslidden. And so God was basically giving the prophets a message show and tell. Simply tell them by showing. And every action or every parable or every similitude or every simile or metaphors, allegories have a tremendous meaning. Uh, I talked about the last time the woman at the well, she was not uh, college educated by any chance. She hadn't been to school herself, but certainly her depth of understanding would just be to the level of most people on those days in that Samaritan village. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ was conveying to her something very profound, and he had to come down to her level rather than she coming to his level. She had no understanding. I want you to understand it has nothing to do with spiritual, uh, it has nothing to do with religious or what would be a profound knowledge of the word. <clears throat> it is deep down in the spirit. So he spoke to her about something very concrete that she could understand. She comes a long way to draw water and being that a profession and that was under looked uh, as skin and particularly with, uh, with hatred uh, because of the, the person she was, she had to make this uh, rendezvous to get water in the middle of the noon and it is very hot, but there's not many people that she would be able to glance upon or someone who could throw stones at her. So she would come in the afternoon and she has a tryst with destiny, may I say with the Lord Jesus Christ, that radically changed her life and those of her villages as well. But the message he speaks was subliminal and yet it was so profound. He speaks to her in a similitude. He speaks to her, do you want water? She understands that because she was thirsty. She came walking, the, making the long trek to get a pail of water. And she understands all about water. So from the concrete, the Lord Jesus Christ draws her into what would be the ultimate, the spiritual expression of living water. If, he had, if, she, if he had started with water, she would be Alice in Wonderland, having no knowledge whatsoever. But now she's able not only to grasp this profound knowledge, she goes to the rest of her villages saying, listen, is this not the Messiah? Uh, great things he has taught me. So here in this passage, when you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1, a dead fly in the ointment, or dead flies cause the ointment of the, uh, of the perfume, of per, uh, maker of the perfume to send forth a stinking savour. So obviously, uh, this basically is, uh, it might look silly, but what it means is an ointment can get bad. The perfume and ointment can be changed into something that is a terrible odour, or what would be a stinking order? How could it be that something meant for a profound fragrance, a great smell, turns into such a stink? And that's where you need to understand 
that in all of life, many, many great things have just come to be a mess uh, and become stinking because of a dead fly in the ointment. The last time I began to talk about the basils, or I talk about basically the flies and how they uh, bring about that sting. Now, I want you to understand, it doesn't matter whether you are in the confectionery or whether you are basically thinking about your praise or your worship or your Christian life or in terms of your profession, no matter what you do, uh, just something so silly, some foolishness, just one little thing is enough, a dead fly could turn the entire project that you have done or your entire life that you have lived or the entire crafts that you have making all into such an utter despicable situation that you wondered what happened, dead fly in your ointment. The ointment of worship suddenly becomes no more fragrant to the Lord. It becomes a sting that the Lord says, I abhor it. I will not take of that uh, offering. This is not what I want. So I'm talking about that sting. I'm talking about the cause of the sting. And I'm cause talking about how something that would have been to the perfumer who took all that time, all that effort, all that money, all that patience to bring about this beautiful piece of artistry and masteries, bringing in what would be a finished product, uh, which he has to throw. It was not meant to be, but unfortunately for him, maybe while he slept or maybe while he was careless at that very moment, things begin to happen and the entire uh, ointment, the entire perfume, the entire fragrance bottle had to be thrown out. You do remember, in the case of this woman uh, in Luke chapter 7, she basically broke the alabaster box, but that was not a waste. In fact, it is so profound that it would be for generations, right to the time the Lord Jesus Christ comes, will be spoken, and that's a plus point. But in this case of a dead fly, that uh, basically lands upon ointment and dies, it creates a sting. It is such a negative. I want us to realize something very important. In all of these messages, the similitudes are important because we can understand, okay, so that means this is what happens to me. And then towards the end, I will be talking about uh, simply how important it is to avoid those little, little flies or the little foxes that Songs of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 15 talks about that destroy the entire orchards or destroy the entire vineyard. Think about the labor, think about the patience, think about the sunshine, the water, all of the things that made the ground soluble as well as uh, for agriculture, all of them being prepared. And then comes those uh, rascals, those little foxes. How could they have destroyed all the entire vineyard that would have brought in multiple times of money and 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 the smell is is uh, stinking now because they it's become rotten and this vineyard may be in terms of what the lord god said to the book uh, to the people of israel in the book of isaiah chapter 5 uh, this is basically you and he says i put you in a pristine glorious vineyard and look at the grapes it's creating a stink so it could be our life, it could be our love for God, it could be our love for others, it could be our worship, it could be our prayers, it could be any moral or spiritual influences in our life that have been corrupt, corrupted. Towards the end, I will be going to the number uh, seventh point, and that is simply to say how these little foxes, how these little flies destroy our very life, beginning with Adam and Eve, going all the way to Cain and then on to the greatest kings of all time, including Solomon, that turned his heart. These little flies, 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 dead flies, ruined the career, ruined the ministry, ruined lives. There are people that basically were ruined and others who came out of it. And I'll be talking about how to avoid and how do you do that. For example, John Mark, he left them. It was basically a fly in the ointment for him because he had never seen such trouble. And he just abandoned the gospel team and ran home as fast as he could. And yet when Paul was in prison and almost to the end part of his life, he had asked in his letters uh, calling for Mark because 
He is profitable unto me. So Mark was, after all, not basically totally destroyed. Mark really was very profitable for one of the greatest of all the apostles of all time. So I'm talking about the nine points. I began with what would be ointment and described the ointment that brings the fragrance. Number two, I talk about what would be the fragrance. Number three, I talked last week, I joined three and four to make it uh, number one. Uh, number three is the purifying oil where the priest and the things were anointed in the house of God. Number four, I talked certainly about something very important. And that is basically the fly in the ointment and how the fly or the king of the flies, this is simply uh, one of the names, the, the Lord of the Flies, is name of Satan. And this fly does such damages, not only in terms of physical, many things that you can see, flies that use are common, but there are others that are basically unseen, the very viruses that spread diseases, literally fly and the, and the things that the diseases they spread from malaria to typhoid to smallpox to almost everything comes from these little viruses and they destroy. But I'm not talking about the scientific, physical part of it. I'm talking about the spiritual that destroys our ministry, our life, our worship, our gifting, our talents, or whatever that God gives to us. And that is like those little uh, foxes that destroy the vine, that destroy your vine, that should bring forth the fruit. I will talk today about five. It's certainly about the oil being the Holy Spirit. And number six, the the intimacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly on this communion Sunday. The net, number seven, I will tell you how terrible it is, these little things that destroy. Number eight, I will be telling you how to avoid. And number nine, I will be speaking about not simply what to avoid, but how to avoid and how we could be able to come back and uh, turn around before it's too late. So number five, from leaving from where we left the last time, um, the flies that destroy the ornament, let me just come to number uh, five. And I want to talk to you about the oil of the Holy Spirit. Every time you see the mention of oil or the holy oil, it's a representation of the Holy Spirit. The Christos, the Greek word of uh, Messiah, which is basically uh, anointed one, and you can find how that God anointed Jesus Christ and he went about doing good. And then we also find that we are called the anointed ones at, uh, after the similitude of the Lord Jesus Christ. But first let's go down to, uh, back again to uh, Exodus chapter 30 and reading from verse 25. It simply says, uh, and now thou shalt make it a oil of holy ointment and an ointment compound after the art of the uh, perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. It shall be a holy anointing oil. Uh, one of the things that we need to realize is this oil in the next couple of verses, whether it's be 31, 32, 33, 34, uh, all of it was uh, to be put on all the implements of worship, whether it be on the on the ark, on the various aspect of the instruments in the church, in the temple of God. And ultimately, when you come to verse 30, you're going to find it should also be placed upon Aaron, and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate him. And the word consecrate simply means holy, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. So without that oil, without that what you call holiness or consecration, they cannot stand there. Of course, every one of us are sinners, and including Aaron and his uh, children. So there was a sense in which uh, they were anointed or the oil was placed upon them so that would keep them from being destroyed by the Holy One. So even when they entered the temple, it was with the oil. And so there were things that were very much important. One was the blood and the next was the oil. You find the blood being the blood of Jesus Christ that speaks about ultimate uh, uh, four times that would basically a picture of it you find in the in all of the oblation in the temple ultimately and culminating in the in in the last uh, when Jesus said uh, this is it that's done which means he shed his blood for us and once and for all the mercy it is sprinkled on the mercy seat in heaven then comes the Holy Spirit and this is what I want to talk about how powerful this message is you know, everyone, whether you call it the priest or the sons of the priest, they have 
to have that anointing. Literally, they had the oil. Today, of course, that oil represents the Holy Spirit. So if you were to go into chapter 30, where we just read about Aaron and his sons, and then there were new ones who would be anointed, the fresh new candidates that would be for the office of the priest, they have to have that oil. Without that, they would not be allowed. So it is the consecration oil. It is the oil of holy, and it's simply they have to be anointed by this holy oil, uh, which is basically the picture of the Holy Spirit. When you go through the scriptures, you're going to find also leaders were anointed. So the first instance, you have Samuel coming in to anoint uh, King Saul. You can read that in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. Specifically, it is told, and Samuel took a veil of oil and poured it upon Saul's head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord had anointed thee to be the captain of his inheritance? So, uh, not just simply in praise, also in our service, we need to be anointed. So is it not, the Bible says, wherefore giving yourself uh, unto the Lord, that it becomes a wholesome service and worship and service combined. Again, you find that in First Samuel chapter 16 and verse 13, specifically talking about David, and you can read this, therefore Samuel took the on of oil and anointed him, that is David, in the midst of his brethren. And, the, and right away you can see this picture. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. One of the aspects of the Holy Spirit is he not only enables us to be consecrated to, for, for worship, but he also is the one that protects us and keeps us because the, many a times you find we always have to come back with the strong one. Of course, in our own flesh, we're no match for Satan. He's a strong person. He binds, he comes into rooms, and he enters into lives, and he despoils them. And that basically does a good job. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, while Jesus has come to give life and life eternal. But one of the things that you find is uh, David speaks about how much the Holy Spirit has meant to him, particularly in his life. Uh, he writes much later in Psalm 51, don't take away the Holy Spirit from me because everything in his life had depended on the Holy Spirit. Uh, the way he writes about in the midst of all his enemies, one thing that God does, and as you come into the communion, we're not talking about flesh and blood, we're talking about powers and principalities and rulers in wicked places. But listen, as we would partake in the communion, remind yourself of what David said in Psalm 23 and verse 5. My head, as thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies, thou anointed my head with oil, my cup runneth over. The reason that we are able to have a table that is furnished in the presence of all the enemies is because of the Holy Spirit. And he has anointed our head with oil and our cup is running over and bubbling over. That is to the, the, the praise of his glory. Again, in Psalm 89 and verse 20, look at another expression of David. God is speaking to him, saying, I have found David, my servant, with whom, uh, with my holy oil, I have high anointed him. I have to say this, David was not perfect. Uh, but however, there was a genuine desire of his heart to walk with God. And the Holy Spirit put him back into the work for what Satan had wanted to thwart him, destroy him, and totally annihilate him. But the Holy Spirit took him back. And you can read the story of how God mightily used him. Way until the New Testament, you're going to find the testimony about this man having a heart for the Lord. And that speaks very, very high of David. You think about another king again. Let me give you an example of Solomon. Uh, this is basically also in the case of Solomon. When you read in 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 39, uh, look at the oil of oil. Uh, the Sadak took the oil of oil out of the tabernacle. So this is that compound that is basically uh, manufactured particularly and peculiarly and particularly for the situation and anointed Solomon, and they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, "Go, God, save King Solomon. This comes at a very different, difficult and challenging time because uh, Sol uh, David is sick. Uh, 
And this creates a confusion. And one of the brothers wanted to take the throne, but, da but David made sure that uh, Sadok did what was needed because the word of God came to him as well that it would be Bathsheba's son. Remember, the first son died because of sin. But this one, Solomon, would be the king. And how wonderful to begin with the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we need to realize is in the case of David, the Holy Spirit came upon him uh, when he was anointed in chapter 16. And the next moment you find the evidence of this, that he could stand against the giant of a man, Goliath, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you come to Solomon, look at the expression of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Solomon. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, all of this is so evident in Solomon. That is going back to the Old Testament, which is so different when you come into the New Testament. But I want to just specifically mention of the work of the Holy Spirit and the oil represents so much and more. There's something else the oil does, and particularly for us today as people of God, it is the anointing oil that God commands a blessing. And in order to get the blessing, we need to be united together. We certainly are not a clone. We don't basically clone each other or a particular person. We are individual. We have our own likes, our own dislikes. That being said, God brings together people with a difference, and we ought to love the difference, and yet we are united in our love for the Lord and love for one another. And there's a blessing in that. So when you read Psalm 133 and verse 1, behold how good and beneficial, or it is pleasant, it is for brethren to dwell together in, in unity. Now, how does he describe this? In verse 2, he says, it is like a precious ointment. Have you realized the way that um, David is saying? It is like a precious. Now, he uses the word precious ointment upon the head and ran down the beard and Aaron's beard, and that is all the way down into the giftings of Aaron, the ministries of gifts that, and then go down to his heart, that is where the chest of the entire 12 tribes are, and going all the way down to his uh, skirts. In the next verse, in uh, verse 3, he goes on to say, as the dew of Harmon, and as the dew that descended from the mountains of Zion, here the Lord commands blessing. The Lord commands blessing and life evermore. That is the, the power of the Holy Spirit that brings that blessing in that unity is unfolded. You know, one of the things we realize again, there's so much of passage, particularly in the book of Psalms that David talks about. Take one before we go further, Psalm 92 and verse 10. And the very profound way he says, but my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of the unicorn, and see what he says, I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Remember, the fires had to be changed. Uh, it is the same flame, but they have to put oil for the fire, whether it's in the morning or evening in the temple of God. The same way, the oil has to be changed, and this is basically the ointment has to be put. So the works of the, the priest was not just once in a lifetime, but every day, and they had to uh, take this seriously, and this is all done through the consecration of the Holy Spirit. And this is in the New Testament you find the Holy Spirit is the blessed paraclete, he's the helper, he's the promise of the Father that God sent, and one just like the Lord Jesus Christ. So God sent us, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and then when he had finished what he had come to accomplish, and after he is resurrected, uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ talked about the Holy Spirit and how he would come and fill us, and then 10 days after he had ascended, the Holy Spirit came upon the church. That was the birthday of the church, Acts chapter 2. Now, I want you to realize something very, very important in these passages you find is the Holy Spirit raises up. If the same, uh, we don't need to go there, Romans chapter 8, verse 11, the same Spirit that is in you, raise Jesus Christ, he shall raise you up, no matter what situation you are going through. Uh, talking about it, there is passage of a man, and I want to move it into a spiritual realm, because in Second Corinthians, Second uh, Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, we have a king named Asa. He died, and uh, he died, and he was buried with his fathers, and in the in the 40th, uh, 41st reign of of his time. But in the next verse, it says, in, uh, and they buried him with, in his own sepulcher, which he made for himself in the city of David, and laid 
him in the bed which was filled with sweet odors and diverse kind of spices prepared by the perfumers. And they made a great burning for him. Now, this is a picture of a man that is dead. And literally, that was how they would bury a man with all the spices, hoping that in the new world, he would be able to smell fragrant. Of course, that's just the tradition, not reality. But I wanted to understand, in the case of the Lord Jesus Christ, you find, we don't need to go there, Luke chapter, I believe, uh, 24 and verse 54, how they brought in spices. But particularly when you read Luke chapter 19 and verse 39, uh, you read about uh, Joseph of Armitia, I mean, uh, the, uh, the man who came to the Lord Jesus Christ at night, Nicodemus, comes to, uh, to Pilate and asks for the body, and he puts spices, and you can read that in Luke chapter 19 and verse 39. All of that speaks about the body of Christ that was... Uh, uh, as a powerful scent, as a powerful uh, fragrance. And what happens is the very power of the Holy Spirit, even though he was dead, raised him up from the dead. And it's a picture of what Romans chapter 8 talks about. If the same spirit that is in you, uh, he that raised Jesus from the dead will raise you up also. All of the promises of God are a and amen in Christ. Uh, if you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, uh, it's a very powerful passage I want to just read here. For all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen unto, God, unto, uh, unto the glory of God by us. But look at what it says in verse 21. Now which he which establishes us with you in Christ as anointed us is God. So what the Holy Spirit has done is the one who raised up Jesus Christ has anointed us, and the one who did it is God. And we need to realize that we are anointed, without which we cannot perform, whether it be spiritual worship or anything in terms of the functions of the church. We have to have the oil of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot discard this. The Holy Spirit is very, very important. I want to go to number six. And before we take communion, I want us to understand the unbelievable and marvelous love relationship God wants with us. And now that might sound a little too harsh or too um, I'm uh, romantically crazy, but I want you to know when you think about uh, in the books of, you have many things in the Bible. There's the book of Numbers because God is a mathematic God. He understands the relationship in terms of numbers. But did you know there is also a book called Songs of Songs. The highest form of songs is called the Songs of Songs, like the King of Kings. This is the highest subliminal or the most profound songs. There are, I think, five books in the Bible that are sung uh, or called uh, books of songs. It begins with Psalm, which is holds the body, soul, and spirit. But by the time you come to the book of Proverbs, it is basically tearing in the soul so we could basically do well uh, in relating to the world outside and the world in, uh, in the spiritual. There's the book of Ecclesiastes. That's a lot to do with the emotions. And this is a song that is very emotional. But when you come to the songs of song, it is totally different. The book of Job is the first song. And this book of Job comes through the most harshest difficulty people of God are going through. And it is like the nightingale that sings this brightest song in the darkest of night. And I'm sure there's been a lot of people who have gone through this. And yet instead of screaming murder, you are actually like the nightingales, bringing out the finest songs and bringing praises to God. The Songs of Solomon is a different song. The Song of Solomon is a romantical, uh, romantic so uh, song. It is really a love. Everybody loves the love story. But I want you to understand the old rishis, the sages, the rabbis of the past in the, in the Old Testament period considered this so supreme they said, yes, it was basically uh, in the historical level, the song of uh, King Solomon and the Shul Shulamite woman who must have rented, whose parents must have rented 
pieces of the property from the king. But I want you to understand the, the great uh, scholars of the past, uh, hundreds and hundreds, a thousand plus years ago, talked about the, the supreme love of God to his people. And they extol it of the highest virtue and the words should not be confused with anything that you talk about uh, love. Because even in the Greek word, the, the supreme love is agape, but you begin in the natural with eros. This is not erotic love at all. It is the su supreme love, which is agape love. Now, that being said, I want you to understand, when you come into the New Testament, the context is, and very importantly, is the love of Christ to his church and the response of Christ to the church. I want you to just imagine, if you would, that you are out there in the middle of a very difficult situation during this pandemic, doing what you're doing, trying to clean up. Many people are locked up and you're one of the few people in the mid-afternoon trying to do what you're trying to, eking out a living or trying to help someone going through a difficult situation. And suddenly, out of nowhere comes a very nobleman, uh, uh, in a horse comes a nobleman and looks at you and uh, says, you are sweet, you are fair, my love, I love you. And he uses uh, many uh, words of endearment like, uh, my sweet one, my sister, my spouse. And this is unbelievable to someone who basically have never met love, whom others said, you, 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 you are not the Cinderella, in fact, you may be the ugly duckling. And whereas her family has always made her to do uh, things that the mama would not let the younger daughter or somebody else do it. So this is a very difficult situation for this young lady uh, looking up and sees this gallant young man telling her, you're so beautiful. I want you to read, just understand what the she says in response in chapter, Songs of Solomon, chapter one, verse five, verse six, verse seven. Her response is, I'm so darkened by the sun. He says in Jerusalem, the sense of Kedar in verse seven, six goes on to say, uh, look not upon me because I'm darkened by the sun working because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's children did not. So I've been taking care of other people's sheep and I've not taken care of my own. I'm just eking out the living. And that basically is the beginning of how this song starts. It's a fantastic love story, but I want you to know while you and I were just going about our business uh, in a world in which we live and a dog eat dog world, out of nowhere, the prince of, uh, not Egypt, the prince of the whole world, the prince of heaven, stepped gallantly forward and said to us, I love you. You're so pretty. You're so awesome. You're just uh, such a beautiful person. And suddenly we said, excuse me, what are you talking about? Uh, I'm just trying to eke out a living. I'm just an ordinary person. I have been blackened by sin. You have no idea what's in my life. And then this person says, I have paid the price for you. And the next moment you're talking about in a garden of fragrance and the next of the word chapters of the, of the book of Songs of Solomon is a torrid love, a really amazing love that basically is, uh, it can only be expressed in the words of uh, Songs of Solomon or the Canticles or the Songs of Songs. It's so beautiful. But I want us to go back to what would be the, per the perfume. And uh, when you turn to, uh, again, to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 1, it only takes one dead, rotten, stinking fly to mess up a beautiful, wonderful experience. The devil wants to knock us out of our fragrance, out of our relationship of love with our master. He will do everything to bring in a dead try, uh, fly into our life, to take away the love. And many a times we say, you know, I loved you, I had a great love relationship. You know, this pandemic has taught me I can't love you anymore because you just left me high and dry. The Songs of Solomon is a profound story because the Shulamite woman did not see King Solomon for a while until you come to chapter 8. She's been running around saying, where is the one that my soul loveth? Have you seen him? He tells, she asked the watchman. And they said, no. And basically, she's ravished with such love. 
she's weeping and crying. And then there was a big commotion in the village. And they tell her, the king has come. And suddenly, uh, she looks out, there's a retinue of some 50 soldiers with this young, handsome prince. And the entire town is so happy. But then the king, rather than take a breather and sit down and have lunch, a sumptuous lunch with the villagers, keeps moving forward with his men. And alas, she's looking and seeing that the convoy is leading to her in a humble abode, in a dilapidated house, in a place where she could not invite anyone. And she's so depressed, she's so sad, and she says, I hope the king doesn't see my place. I hope the king doesn't look at me. I hope the king doesn't even come anywhere near me. And then, as she tries to hide, she hears the voice, my love, my sweet one, let's go. Let's go to the place, my garden, where I could have a free time with you. She hears his voice, and she looks at him, and lo and behold, it's none other than that gallant man she had met many moons ago. He had come to take her to his place. It looks like a little story, like even this man, Enoch, walked with God, and he was no more because God had taken, taken him home. That reminds me of our Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I've loved you, and then that he is coming one day. And what you find is, we shall see him if you are alive. Then first the dead would be raised, then they which are alive shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And what a great grand reunion it is going to be. It is a love that is yet to come in its fullest magnificence uh, when we only will know this when we are in heaven. But we got a taste of it, and we need to continue and pursue this love relationship with the Lord. What I want us to understand is this concussion is so powerful, very precious. Uh, the ointment was made, and it was meant for God. It was meant to worship God. It was meant to relate to God. And now we are seeing this relationship or this fragrance in someone who is so precious. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 45 and verse 7, talking about a person. In fact, Psalm 45 is talking about the person of the Lord Jesus. You love righteousness and hates evil of wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Now think about Shulamite woman seeing this gallant man. Where in the Bible do you find it? It's fulfilled because much later, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 7 uses the same psalmist talking about the Messiah. And, in, and it says and of the uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 9, I'm sorry, in verse 9, uh, quoting the same, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, and therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness about thy fellows. Now come down to the next verse, Psalm 45 and verse 8, and look at the description that you find about this uh, great gallant prince. Psalm 45, verse 8, All your garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces they have made the glad. This is the king that has that profound smell, that is a fragrance. And wherever he goes, there's that fragrance of Christ that we find in the New Testament. That is unbelievable. So going back to Songs of Solomon chapter 3 and verse 6, listen to what we find. Who is this that cometh out of the wilderness? Like the pillars of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense and all the powders of the merchant. You see, my friend, Jesus' ministry began in his birth with frankincense and myrrh and with the powders of the Egypt, but of the merchants. But then when you go to the cross, you find the same thing, frankincense, uh, the, that's the perfume of the king, and myrrh that speaks about pain and suffering and even death. All of them have very, very rich meaning. What I want us to realize is this is the bridegroom that will come one day and this is going to be so opulent and so magnificent. Uh, let me take you to chapter 3 and verse 11. 
Now we get a glimpse of Solomon in reality. It says, go forth, O daughter of Zion, and behold, King Solomon with the crown, wherewith his mother crowned him in the day of his espousal and in the day of the gladness of his heart. So he's there standing before this woman, and she could not believe it. He is a nobleman, and I am a commoner. He owns everything, and I am just nobody. And the one he says, come, my love, let's go. Uh, we'll come to that in just a moment. What I'd like us to do is just take a journey of this love so you can, before you take communion, get to know how much the Master loves you. That you would know just how much that, that love cost. It gave His only life for you. That is the truest love. It's not a philosophy or someone talking about love with no meaning. He speaks love because He is love. And that love cost him his whole life. Let's begin with chapter 4 for lack of time in verse 8. Uh, there you find uh, rather a word, Come with me from Lebanon, my spouse. Come with me from Lebanon. Look on the top of Amana, from the top of Sinar, from Armen, and from the lion's den, and from the mountains of the leopards. What he's saying is, come, this is on the north side, it's on the top of, uh, of Lebanon, and it is basically where there are carnivorous, uh, whether it be animals like, uh, like lions and from leopards. We in a, live in a world of really dangerous situation. If you take a step up and you might slip in the rain and you come all the way down, and just in case you don't knock your head coming down, there's always a lion, there's always leopards around you, but we are here for a season, and in the midst of all of this, the Holy Spirit keeps us for one reason, is preserving us. Why? For the waiting of the Master, waiting for what the Bible calls the Bridegroom. So here's the voice of the Bridegroom saying, come with me from Lebanon, that is from where you are, in that place where there is the lions, and you know those uh, lions that Peter talks about, who comes roaring like a lion, that he might try to devour you, and from the lepers who want to knock you down. But when you read um, in verse, um, let's go down to verse 9, look at what he continues to say, thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. The words that he uses are very meaningful. You are my sister, you are my spouse. Now, you know, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he placed the final proof of our salvation the blood on the mercy seat. And when the blood is on the mercy seat, it made a big significance that the day we accepted Jesus, it is as we went down with him, we died with him, but when we rose up, it was minus the Adamic sin, or Satan. We are now pledged as chaste virgins for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we rise up with a new beginning, with a new name, and we are Christians, the illuminated or ones that follow the Lord Jesus. I want to just so before we go into chapter 4 um, and verse 9, 10, and 11, I want to just say how meaningful it is, particularly with regard to what Paul says about the church. So if you turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, look at the such longing that Paul is saying, for I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. This is what I'm doing, because you're espoused. You know, the day you took water baptism, you were almost like telling the whole, whole world, seen and unseen, the word of darkness, together with the word of heaven and all the angels, here and now, I subash, hereby of my own willingness and of my own knowledge, hereby want to die with Christ, and then I rise up fully knowing that I am with Christ, the old man is dead, oh, we have a battle with the old man, but I am in Christ, and my address is in Christ. I am a person. So it's this that is uh, branded by Christ. Simply a brand pulled out of the fire. I was espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin. 
Don't let your ointment be flawed with a sticky dead fly. Be a virgin. Oh, we will sin, but constantly cover yourselves. The blood of Jesus purges away your sin. If we confess our sin, he is just and right to forgive us our sins. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, look at the way that Paul is talking. I mean, in fact, the entire chapter, for the husband is the head, as Christ is the head, and he's the savior, he's the one who gave his life for his beloved. And that is the entire, and you, you know, he begins by talking about love between a man and a wife, and then he says, hey, I'm not talking about that, I'm actually talking about the church and the Christ. And so, you are telling me, uh, just like the similitude, you couldn't find a better example. Come on, this is a poor reflection. But yes, the best we can find on this earth is the love between a man and his wife and a woman and his, her husband. And yet, as finite it be, it becomes a similitude of ultimately a love relationship with God and his bride. And so you find this is very meaningful. There will come a day... Soon we'll be partaking communion in just a moment, but there will come a day when you are no more going to take a cup and just a little bread. You know, this reminds us, communion reminds us all the way, it takes us all the way past. All the way when Adamic fall took place and how there was a lamb sacrifice and Adam and Eve were covered. But you find every time blood being shed, a remembrance of what would take place, they were looking forward to faith when the ultimate Lamb of God would die. And sure enough, the word came from John the Baptist in John 1 and verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. From that day onwards, they have a completion of what would be no more blood being shed. It is once and for all completed and Father is pleased with it. The blood is sprinkled on the altar. Now, I want you to understand, we look back by faith exactly as they looked forward by faith. We thank God for the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross and thank God that he died for us. I don't have to die. Something we need to understand when we take the communion, we not only look backward to the fact of what happened, we look in the present day to realize that he has preserved us and kept us and it is his blood that keeps us going. The spirit and the blood, they agree together with the word. One John chapter, uh, episode talks about it. But we are going to take communion. We look back, we look basically present, but we're looking forward to something far, far greater than we could ever imagine. Eye has not seen, nor hear heard all the things that God has prepared in heaven for us. You're going to think of heaven with uh, gold and jasper and emerald and all of the precious stones. My friend, don't bother about it. You'll be stepping on it. It is as worthless as MUD mud. In other words, there are pennies a dozen. But what you see in heaven is something so magnificent. Is the love of God to his children. God tabernacles with his people. It's a love that passes all understanding. The greatest is love. I know among religion there are many aspirations of what desires of man would be. The Islamic scholars say the greatest desire is ultimately in heaven there would be of sex in the various wonderful way and heaven will be full of an harem of uh, sex and that is the ultimate. Uh, I want you to understand the Christian point of view is sex is only meant rather in a similitude but not a fine, it's not an infinite way, it's a very finite way to explain something far greater and that is not sex at all in heaven but that is to talk about what the Bible calls the pleasures of God. The pleasures of God is the supreme love, the highest form of love, the agape form of love, 
that man has never ever experienced that subliminal highest level of love is the pleasures of God that you would exhibit not only towards God but to one another that you're going to find there's no self or selfishness or pride or anything that smacks evil that would be evil it is the highest form of love but first our Lord Jesus Christ says to love our father with all our heart all with all our soul with all our mind the the, the highest form would be in heaven and that is entering into the pleasures of God everything else on this earth pales in comparison when you enter into the highest level but there's going to be something like what you might call a wedding Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7 gives you a glimpse of this which is amazing let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. The time for readiness is almost there and you shall hear the trumpet, the sound of the trumpet. In the last trump, it, the Bible says, we'll be caught up to meet the Lord and we shall be forever with the Lord. But let's not go fast down there. Let's just take a moment to think about the greatest love, the greatest story of love that we could ever find. I understand you can find the greatest love between a man and a woman who were torn apart by the war and wherever, but nevertheless, I want you to understand nothing beats the supreme love of God with someone like a, like a woman that had no future, like the Bible talks about Ruth. What an extreme love that Boaz has that he would lift her up and everything he is, she becomes. But let's go back to the book of Songs of Solomon, chapter 4, and let's read verse uh, 9. We were there just a moment ago. Thou hast ravished my heart, my sister, my spouse. The heart, my sister, my spouse is simply a reference, my sister, because when Jesus rose, he said to Mary, go tell my brethren that about my father, your father. How did that transpire? Suddenly, because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, we become the part and family of God, the DNA of God. So, without losing a bit of what and who he is, he is, becomes our elder brother, and so he's calling the church his sister, his spouse. Thou hast ravished my, my heart with one eye on one chain of your neck. Let's read verse 10. He goes on to say, how fair is your love, my sister, my spouse. How much better is thy love than wine and the smell of your anointed ointments than all spices. There comes the wine, the taste, the smell, and, and sight, all of that sparkling. And verse 11, it says, your lips, O my spouse, drop as the honeycomb. Honey and milk are under the tongue, and the smell of garments like the smell of Lebanon. Again, talking about the fragrance. Verse, uh, let's go down to verse 15, just to finish this fast. A fountain of gardens, a well of living waters, and streams from Lebanon. You know, you have a lot of this uh, in the Persian poetry, Middle Eastern, but in the Psalms, in the book of Isaiah. Let's take Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 11 talking about the enclosed garden of love. There in Isaiah chapter 58, you're going to find in verse 11 an amazing aspect, and the Lord shall guide you continually and so and, and for thy bones, and thou shalt be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Coming back to verse 15, let me just get you this again to what um, the bride is telling, a fountain of water, a a well of living waters, a stream from Lebanon, and then let's read verse 16. So marvelous as you come down, awake, O north wind. Here's the bridegroom saying, awake, O north wind, and come, and thou south wind, blow upon your garden. Take the spices thereof, may flow out, let my beloved come unto his garden, and eat his pleasant fruit. The north wind is icy, the north wind is very cold, the north wind is hard to bear. And while we are on earth, we face the icy cold harshness of winter that we're experiencing now. And God knows 
we need that ice, we need that cold, all of this, basically the, what you and I may not see is the germination of all of these plants. They're not dying. Deep down, they're ready and basically waiting for the period they would spring up and spring to life. So maybe you're wondering, why am I going through this? Don't worry about it. These are the seasons of life. We're in the moment of what would be the winters of life, but don't you worry. And then thou south wind, that is the warmness of that wind that comes in. They together blow the garden and the spices thereof flow out. It's a combination of the plus and the minus. It's the combination of all things, good and bad, get together that make up what would be the ultimate fruit that will flow out. Let my beloved come unto his garden and eat is pleasant fruits. You're not alone. God is waiting until you come to that place. You are the final product. And then Jesus Christ will be glorified. Let's turn to chapter 5 and verse 1 of the Songs of Solomon. He says, I'm come unto my garden. Remember the song, into, I come into your garden. My sister, my spouse, I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey. I've drunk my wine with my milk. Now the Holy Spirit interjects, interjects to bring this. Every now and then the Holy Spirit or the daughters of Jerusalem comes and says his two bits. Says, oh friend, drink here, drink abundantly, O oh beloved. What I find about it is in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 11 and 12, the profound words of Jesus saying, come unto me, all you that are uh, heavy and laden, and I will give you rest. I want you to enjoy, he says, this moment together. So even as we partake of this communion, I want to tell you something very important. Who is the bridegroom? This is the one who has the fragrance. And not simply has the fragrance, but let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We read that before, verse 1, 2. But let's stick to verse 2. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Listen to what the writer, the Paul, is telling. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. When you take this communion, remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave. It's a sweet-smelling savour unto God. And who are we? We are in him a sweet-smelling savour. So when you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, reading from verse 14 to verse 16, look at what Paul says, Now thanks be to God, which has always caused us to triumph in Christ and maketh us manifest the savour or the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. It has two effects, one to those who do not love the Lord and those who love the Lord. Verse 15 goes on to say, for we are the, unto God a sweet-smelling fragrance of God of Christ in that that are saved and in them that are perishing. And verse 16 goes on to say, To the one we are savour of life unto death, and to the other the fragrance of life unto life, and who is sufficient unto all these things. I want you to know, my friend, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the last of the words tells you the greatest is love. There's a word that the Lord Jesus Christ asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And when he was asked the third time, Peter was having a difficulty because Jesus used the highest subliminal or the most profound or the highest rated love called agape. And Peter couldn't reach there. Peter had just fallen. But Jesus was saying, don't worry, I love you. But you love me with the highest agape love. He had said, yes, Lord, I do love you in the way a brotherly love is. Until Jesus took him step by step to that love that 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 30, 30 talks about. I know this is the norm in heaven. And what is so awesome is the love that begins a profound love affair with God. That's what makes Christian faith not a religion, but simply a walk of love. Loving God with all our hearts, and then turning around and loving one another. I know it's going to be uncomfortable for many people who say, I love my brother, and yet on the basis of the color or culture, can't love. 
you're mighty out of place in heaven. Heaven speaks of the utmost love, love for God and love for one another. So I want you to take this communion and what it says is the cup which we bless. May we bless this communion. But as you partake of this body, the Lord Jesus Christ said us, as they gather together, shall we stand as we partake of this? As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord, you are showing forth. What do you mean show forth? It is show and tell. The similitude simply means there comes a time when every agent, every powers in earth, in heaven, and under the earth, without a shadow of doubt, knows, here I stand. I stand for Jesus. I stand for God. We're showing forth our love even today, and as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth all that God has done for you through Christ. Shall we be grateful to God? In just a moment, we're going to sing praise to God. But it's suffice to say, just simple words. Can you repeat after me? Father, I thank you for Jesus. Him whom my soul loves. May I love you more. I eat of this bread. Reminds me of what Jesus did. Thank you, Father. This is the communion. Say that after me. Father, I bless this cup, the cup of blessing. As I imbibe this, I receive blessings in my body, spirit, soul. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the love that cost you everything so it could save my soul. I love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.